Hello and welcome to another extra special, extracurricular episode of Normandy FM, Dragon Age 2 edition, Thetis Bandwidth. I don't know, Ken, we still haven't figured that out. We gotta figure that out before we, we get We got to... one game left, it's too late. We got, we got one game left. <laughs> and this one's coming to a close pretty quick. I mean, myself, Eric Van Allen, and Kenneth Shepard, we only have so much uh, runway left on this Dragon Age 2 here, and so we figured we better get... Good old Josh Silverman back on the podcast to say hey and talk about some characters before we run out of it. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm excited to talk Dragon Age 2. Josh, tell me about you and Dragon Age 2. What What is your big thing in this game? What do you like about this game? Why did you want to be on for Dragon Age 2? Uh, so I think I may have talked about this the last time I was on the show talking Dragon Age stuff with you guys, but like Dragon Age... I, most people know me as the Mass Effect guy in a lot of cases, but Dragon Age is that universe that it, it, I, I just love it. Um, I love the lore. I read the World of Thetis books. It's like, it's my happy place universe. How Star Wars was when I was like a little kid is how Dragon Age mm-hmm. is for me as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what I connect to and it's what I feel really good about. Um, I loved Origins, but it wasn't like a style of gameplay I necessarily was good at. Uh, I always said the fact that I finished Origins the first time was a complete and utter fluke. <laughs> I, I had to learn how to play those kind of games like by playing that game, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two, however, was closer to, like, it, it, it's faster paced and stuff like that, so right off the bat, I just connected to the game, and then I just, I love the smaller story. I love the single city focused on one family. I, 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 I love that aspect of it, and for being one of the most depressing stories in the entire, like, Dragon Age saga, somehow the characters just felt cheerier <laughs> than mm-hmm. in Origins, so it just, it, it just pulled me in, and uh, I love to. I, I unabashedly, completely and utterly just love Dragon Age 2, and it's the Dragon Age game that I get the most excited to play. Mm-hmm. It's really too bad you got to with this act where we've kind of not been like that for a minute, because like, it really feels like Act 3 is the point where this game starts to become the game that history knows it as, and that yep. I mean that in like a more negative way. Mm-hmm. Um and it sucks because, like, Act 1 and 2, we were, like, super positive on. Like, it kind of rejuvenated my desire to do this show because Origins had sucked the life out of me. <laughs> and uh, Act 3, though, it's um, it's a slog, man. It, c- it can be. I mean, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people know, like, the history of Dragon Age 2 and how it kind of came to be. And 3 really does, as you said, it. it uh, Act 3 really cements as... Act 1 and 2 are these really, like, well-thought-out, like, this is what we're doing. Act 3 is like, shit, how do we end this game? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, one more thing. Uh, we probably need to wrap this up quick. The the Templars and the Mages, uh, let's do that real quick. And also, like, put a cap on everybody's stories, too. And uh, I... <sighs> I can't even remember the name of the damn leader of the mage mages in the game because he is just ha- like thrust in very suddenly mm-hmm. in like the eleventh hour of the game that he means nothing to me. <laughs> well, shout so. outs to Orsino. Thank we, you. Uh, we we respect or not really. Um, not but, not by the end of this game. Yeah, now that I have finished this game, uh, maybe don't respect Orsino so much. <laughs> uh, but I I will say that 
I think the brighter spots of Act 3 for me were definitely some of the companion missions. Oh, uh, yeah. The way that they cap off. And I think today we've got a pretty good batch of them. So we have Aveline and Varric, who I would say are probably the two characters that are the most default closest to Hawk. They are completely unromanceable Mm -hmm. uh, outside of one small thing that you can do with Aveline in Act 2. But these i felt like at least in the larger missions both of these felt like good resolutions to these characters arcs and the way that they had kind of been built up over the course of dragon age and and really i think that was the more interesting thing for me was that whereas some other characters in this act uh their their final companion mission is like the big climactic battle and can we just talked about this with isabella and we'll be talking about it with uh meryl but those feel very backloaded in a way and here i kind of like that both of these companion missions felt like closure in a natural way like we'd already kind of seen the height of their arc mm. and we were kind of wrapping off the resolution of these characters the it, it kind of always leaves on a note like there has been a measurable amount of change to these characters because hawk was in their life and we're seeing that reflected in the missions that we're doing so let's start with Aveline, and I guess to start off, Josh, why Aveline? What's up? Why do you like Aveline? I I like Aveline. I like the uh, guardsman, like you know, kind of character. Um, I a large reason, a large part of the reason why I do like Aveline, to be honest, is as a foil to Isabella. Um, mm-hmm. I, I liked her as that character. They have a lot of good ambient dialogue together. Obviously, they are the, you know, the polar opposite kind of characters in a lot of respects. So I very much appreciate that, and it's why I started bringing Aveline on missions. But it's, you know, kind of like this... Um, she's such a straight-laced character that I grew to really appreciate her for, like, her quests where, you know, you kind of break that mold, that, that, uh, that mold like, you know, the, the date quest and stuff like that mm-hmm. and all those kind of things where she starts to actually not be this very by the numbers character you know she starts to actually you know her her failed attempts at flirting and stuff like that mm-hmm. so I, I i felt a closeness to her character in that regard i i thought the interesting thing that the way this act starts off with aveline is that you have this uh mission where you just kind of go in to catch up with her and 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 just see how things are going and again ken this is like the classic oh have you not talked in so many years Mm. (laughs) uh but i thought the interesting way that they framed this one was that it's kind of like aveline just got back from a honeymoon with donic if you managed to get them together in the previous act which how dare you if you didn't (laughs) yeah seriously i i was looking at that i was like wait who who doesn't do that? Who doesn't, like, set that up? Because you'd have to just, like, not do the mission, right? You just have to completely avoid it to get to, to happen. You have to make an attempt like to make that happen. You have to be what? Yeah, like, you have to make an actual attempt to make that not happen yeah. by... Like, yeah. It does not happen by naturally playing the video game Dragon Age 2. Yeah, right. like, that's that's the option that is, like... That is... Yeah. You guys said it perfectly. Yeah, You have to fight to do it. Like, uh, when... We were leading into Dragon Age Inquisition, and they released the Dragon Age Keep. I became very obsessed with, like, all the options, like, reading through every last thing, mm. about, particularly about Dragon Age 2. And it, it literally had not occurred to me in three full playthroughs of 2 to not have that happen. 
Like it, did, right. it didn't even occur to me that that was like a thing to do because I was like, I liked Aveline. I want her to be happy. <laughs> I think in an earlier episode, I even said like, wait, you can not, you can have Aveline not marry Donic. Like I never even knew that was possible. And I guess that is just by not doing the quest. So sheer force of will. <laughs> but the, the sort of catch up isn't really very meaty. You know, you just kind of go in and they make a little sly comment about the honeymoon, which I thought was nice. Uh, as you mentioned before, like kind of reflecting that Aveline has changed a bit over the years. Um, I think, I think at the start of that, or maybe it's the start of a different mission, but she's having a discussion with Isabella. Uh, maybe it's at the start of the next mission that that happens. No, it's the questioning beliefs that it happens at. Mm. Um, but Overall, like I, whenever I did missions in this act, I try to have Isabella and Aveline together because their banter in the open world is like very reflective of how Aveline has changed over time, and they make funny comments about each other. And like Aveline is like, "Oh, you know, I used to think I'd never be able to get along with someone like you," and and Isabella's like, "Oh, if I left, you know, someone else would just replace me or whatever." It's it's very I like it a lot. Like they're they're rivalry slash friendship grew on me over time but the big thrust of Aveline's uh act three mission is in favor and fault which is kind of her main companion quest of the act which as we gradually learn um there have been complaints made against her uh that we learn about through Colin actually Colin sends us a message and is like hey there are complaints being made about Aveline go invest go investigate them and as we go talk to some guardsmen uh we find out that um you know first we suspect that aveline might be coddling donic and then we find donic like waist deep in murdering like coterie <laughs> thugs which it's just great like donic's not in this game very often but when he is he's pretty cool i like mm -hmm. him um but then we go talk to uh, guardsman Brennan, who tells us that Jevin is back, uh, the former captain that Aveline replaced, and he has been kind of attempting to sow the seeds of discord among the guardsmen. And uh, at this point, so this is kind of a weird thing for me. I kind of thought this is the point where friendship or rivalry would play in stronger in that if you were like, if it was a friendship Aveline, then the guardsmen would kind of all be with her and rivalry. They wouldn't, but mm. here it's literally whether she's happy <laughs> because she's with Donic or not. Cause uh, the way the mechanic works, and I had to look this up because again, I'd spent most of my time playing this game, not knowing you could not get them together. But, um, if Aveline is in a relationship with Donic, none of the guards stand with Jevin. They all think he's mad. And if she's not with Donic, she will be kind of a stricter guard, and there will be some that stand with him hmm. and want to uh, see Aveline deposed and Jevin take back over, which I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of go back and forth on because I, I think as a concept, I like the idea of you know like is Aveline happy or not and and kind of also like has she moved has she moved beyond the past in any way but I don't know if I like tying that to whether or not she's in a relationship if that makes sense mm -hmm. like that that how did how did y'all 
how do you all feel about this this general kind of setup with Aveline's romance? Because I feel like it's a really weird subject. I mean, the, I, oh, go, go ahead again. Uh, I'll just say, like, I haven't, I didn't realize that was like the defining factor of this until literally right now. Um, <laughs> that is, that is weird. Just because, like, I don't know. Like, it kind of plays into like how Aveline is kind of like, and this is mostly through like banter. So like, she's trying to figure out like how she wants to, like, put down roots in Kirkwall, how she, like, mm. both for, like, professionally and just personally, like, how she wants to... Because, like, she's realizing at this point that, you know, this is where her life is probably going to be and right. what that looks like. But it is, like... I mean, maybe it's easier to, like, pick at than it is to kind of examine with her. Because, like, yeah, that is, like, if you get to that point in your life where you want certain things and that's just not how your life is played out, you might be a little bit miffed <laughs> about that. And it might just... Yeah. It might come into your work. It might coming to how you interact with others and so i maybe like when you break it down to a simple like is she in a relationship so is she happy it sounds more reductive to her who she is but just like generally that i get that that's like a if your life is not going the way you want it it's going to bleed into every aspect mm. of your life too that's fair yeah no i think that's like kind of thing is if you just look at same thing ken said like if you look at it on paper reducing someone to you know I'm, I'm not in a relationship ergo I'm you know meaner to my subordinates at work kind of thing like that doesn't look great but the actual like practice of it I think it's perfectly fine like the actual way it plays out because yeah if you feel if you feel fulfilled in more aspects of your life then you're gonna you know be happier in how you treat situations and stuff like that and particularly you know this kind of thing like they actually you know Aveline feeling loved so she's capable of showing more affection and stuff like that and being like this this softer but still you know good uh uh guard captain it makes sense but uh Mm -hmm. I also had no idea that that was the mechanic and I assumed it was the rivalry friendship thing that would affect something like that (laughs) And I'm really confused why this game doesn't use rivalry and friendship that that very well. I still stand by. I think particularly with the characters that we're talking about today is where yeah. friendship and rivalry is the most kind of muddied because mm-hmm. with other characters, like it's very demonstrably like, did this person change or did they kind of stay true to their roots? Did they you know begrudgingly respect hawk or did they actually respect hawk and it it ends up feeling a bit more natural to the general plot the way that those characters develop whereas here like again aveline the way aveline and varic are introduced are kind of as these i mean they're practically your ashley and caden right like mm-hmm. they're like they're these characters that show up very early tend to fill out a role on your team unless you specifically chose to go the same role as them but i mean like who's going to play a bow and arrow rogue in dragon age 2 that sounds terrible (laughs) so um but but they're characters that are definitely like there to be the always around the constants and especially in the case of varic like he will always be on your side always and so i yeah the friendship and rivalry stuff i don't know how i feel about that with them um we do eventually confront jevin who is 
the most make America great again asshole. <laughs> like this dude's given a straight up he he says he says um he like complains about immigrants. Like he legitimately yeah. makes that complaint in his whole speech to these like mercenaries that he's hired is like an immigrant is leading the guard. How can you stand for this? And I'm like, oh this asshole. Um so I I let Aveline have at some of them and then I just I'd stab this dude like a pincushion. Um mm. he he got the the one two punch from Assassinate Twin Fang and, and went down. Uh and it was it was satisfying. But uh after we we get rid of the asshole and move on with our lives which i love that really the conversation is not like why do you feel this way can't we change the way you think it's like no we're just gonna kill this dude because this dude decided to be an asshole twice (laughs) you got off easy once and you're not gonna get it again uh aveline was great Uh um and and we kind of you know we wrap it back up there and that's really about it you know she's she's kind of mad about the whole thing and she doesn't like it but it just kind of ends there and really only segues forward once you have 100 percent on your friendship or rivalry which is when you get to do her questioning beliefs for act three and so here is where this is a weird thing right here okay 100 percent friendship with aveline you have this really cool talk where um you, you have this really cool talk where uh Aveline has received word from Ferelden that the king uh would be welcome to have her back uh, that they have now verified that she is not actually dead you know all these many years later um before finally revealing that she is not actually going to leave kirkwall and she plans to stick around and hang out with hawk and see things finished right Mm. um very touching end to this story i liked it a lot i was very happy about it yeah um did how how did y'all i want to talk about this one before we get to the next one (laughs) um how how did we kind of i'm imagining that all of us here did the friendship route with aveline uh, in our respective playthroughs, whether they were for this or for whenever we originally played it. Uh, I guess, Josh, we can bump over to you first. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm just going to straight up. The only reason I've ever... I've only done rivalry with one person, and I think it was really? Anders, and that was just to Holy get... Holy shit. And okay. that was just to get... It, it could have been either Anders or Varric. I don't remember which one right now. And it was just to get the achievement, mostly. Because, hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that was about the hmm. only reason I did that. But, uh, yeah, so I, I did Friendship, and no, I liked it. I, I thought it was a nice... I mean, obviously, it's not the end of the story, but at least, uh, you know, it was a nice cap, essentially, on um, on Hawk and Aveline's story. And, uh, and yeah, the, the, the way she... How do I put this? The way she kind of, like, playfully teases Hawk about everything. I don't know. It it, it felt nice. Mm. <laughs> it's the best way I guess I could put it. Yeah. So, Can, yeah. Put a pin in that you've apparently never rivaled, done rivalry with anybody. Cause we get it, I need to yeah. dissect that in a minute. But, yeah. um, <laughs> Especially so, the thing we're about to talk about. <laughs> so what I like about Aveline is that, like, she kind of exists on the outskirts of the majority of the shit that's happened. Well, with, with the exception of that, like, the very end of uh, the Canary stuff. And so, 
I always like the her kind of wrapping up stuff always is a little bit more understated and really personal compared to Fenris throwing an absolute fit in his mansion or Anders not being able to control the demon inside. It's like I like that there's that she's like there's almost like a homey sense of like Aveline, like this person that is like the quiet place you go to when everything else is going fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I really like that about her last conversation that it is like really introspective in the way that she going about because like she kind of she jokes to you about like, you know I've technically been dead this entire time and like yeah Ferelden apparently didn't actually sort out the casualties of Ostar until now hmm. and so it's just it's, it's you know it's nice like you said Josh it's just like I like that I can always go talk to Aveline and know that even if I'm gonna get a stern talking to for all my actions I always leave feeling better about her and like my relationship I feel like we grow and maybe that just comes from the fact that I'm playing friendship and not doing the thing that this rivalry ends up doing but just like comparatively speaking like Aveline is always a person that feels like she is both invested in what's going on and also on my side at the same time because Varric and Isabella they are kind of you know they're kind of the more neutral ones as well in terms of everything that's going on in Kirkwall but they also are like very detached like whether that's just kind of happenstance for Varric or like actively trying to not get involved like Isabella mm-hmm. so I like that about Aveline that she is She's kind of like the very all-around character. The one that is always what you need her to be, I guess. Aveline is always there for you. Like, yeah. she's mm-hmm. almost, you know, Hawk, uh, no matter what, is is the older brother. He is the oldest. He makes, you know, he takes care of his family, stuff like that. But who does Hawk have? And Hawk has Aveline, it, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. particularly if you go the friendship route. Um, Hawk has Aveline, who is a quasi-older sister, you know. Yeah. Coded mm-hmm. character, so it's it's definitely a, it's a nice aspect, uh, and again another reason why I do very much appreciate her character, and also just think about the fact of wow it took Ferelden almost a decade to sort out who was dead yeah. at Ostagar. <laughs> it's just I just process that tells you how many people died at Ostagar. Like True. I think I think the one thing I liked about this is I think it was in this act in this mission you can kind of talk about Ostagar and um, there can, there's like a comment that Aveline makes about it, about like how horrific it was and stuff like that. That was just like really kind of drove it home in a way that I know like Dragon Age origins, like my, my larger issue with origins in that early part was how it kind of went over the top, trying to be very like game of Thronesy and, oh we're dark fantasy so there's people getting cut in half and stuff like that oh my god isn't this terrible (laughs) whereas i think here just having a character years later kind of getting this thousand yard stare as they recall what it was like to be there and to Mm -hmm. see everything that was happening was more impactful and spoke more to what that event was like to the people that survived it than anything they showed in the moment so Mm. um Another strength of Dragon Age 2. But let's talk about a different thing, which is what happens if you have rivalry with Aveline. Um, apparently, and I've never done this because I'm not a soulless bastard, but <laughs> um, if you have 100% rivalry with Aveline, you can accuse her of being a coward at Ostagar, which results in Aveline beating the crap out of you <laughs> on the floor. And then... And this is this is from the wiki because again I will never do this. I don't, I don't even know if I want to watch this cutscene. It sounds terrible. Um, I can't remarks... imagine. It's like well, 
I've seen it, and I I imagine it's probably more comical. Like okay, okay, both both in terms of like the game is nine years old, and also just like the fight. I mean, so, like you you can continue and like how the fight ends. Like it is it they have a like little n- bit. A, more... They have like a newfound respect for each other. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a not bit more like, like Vega than like actual fight. Yeah, it's it's not like yeah. Okay, okay, that's a little because one of the options here can result in Aveline saying that she is like through with Hawk, that she's just done with Hawk, um, which I can't imagine this idea of an Aveline that is not like bound by the hip to hawk throughout all this and i know that we will eventually get to a point in this game where there will be an actual point of contention between aveline and hawk that can resolve poorly and uh it's that that one also fascinates me too because just the i i played this game probably at least 90 percent of the time aveline was in my party uh mm-hmm. and it it did not take me long to get to 100 percent friendship locked in with her uh, just because even if she is kind of the quote-unquote cop of the team, like, she is also more interested in stopping, like, legitimate crime and, like, you know, killing slavers and stuff like that than anything else. And so well, she, it's pretty easy to get high approval with her pretty fast. Well, she's anti-corruption. So, right. like, that's the thing you want in a cop character. <laughs> so... Yeah. You God know. willing. <laughs> Can't imagine what that's like. <laughs> no, I have no concept of what that is. Fuck. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, that's, you know, that's her saving grace as the quote-unquote cop, you know, character of the game. But, yeah, much like you, Eric, like, Aveline's probably, in my three playthroughs of two that I've done, uh, the first character that hit 100% friendship almost on every single playthrough because just, like, I always have her with me and I'm, most of the options I choose, even when I change up what I'm doing, tend to favor what she wants to hear. Mm-hmm. She's a good character. I like Aveline a lot. Um, yep. I think I said early on in this playthrough that I was kind of surprised by how much I liked Aveline because coming out of DA2, I kind of already had an order of my favorite companions. Mm-hmm. And Aveline to me was just kind of the first time I played through it, I was like, oh, that's my tank. Like, she's just there to provide the steel wall that will keep my ass from getting kicked by large enemies but i think this time around i've really come to like her arc her character what she provides for the narrative and and also like the the subtle ways that she can kind of twist and turn the narrative like i think the other thing worth mentioning that's along the lines of what ken said of of her kind of being like this this uh, like home feeling retreat is that her story never really goes over the top in the way that some other mm-hmm. characters do. You know, she's not dealing with the massive politics of Kirkwall. She's not dealing with shadowy figures or demons or anything like that. Her whole story arc is just about her establishing herself and finding herself. And it feels very focused and very, honed in and i think that's probably why it didn't stand out to me the first time around but why it does stand out to me now is that like feels like i don't want to say more genuine but it does feel more like personal and less uh 
you know, like fantasy story. It doesn't feel like a high fantasy story. It feels like you could tell this story in any medium and it would still come across very well. So, Aveline, we love her. She's great. We always yep. want her to be happy. <laughs> definitely a definitely pro Aveline. <laughs> pro Aveline. Let's talk about. No, wait, 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 wait. Oh, hold on. We we gotta, yeah, we gotta, we gotta talk. We got. You did put a pin in it, so we gotta come back now. <laughs> okay. How did you manage to? So, because you, because you both have sort of done this, or at least as I understand it, you have as well, as well, Eric. Yeah. How do you I've, go I've through this everyone. game without ending up at with at least one rival? Uh, I mean, I'm not I, an asshole. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. I said I'm not an asshole. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not an asshole either. But Fenris and I are still rivals because I'm not an asshole. But it, but you and Fenris are rivals because. Y- you have him in your party all the time that's like part one and two you have him in your party all the time while you are making very pro mage decisions <laughs> the, so the the party i tend to roll with is not they're characters that don't fall along the the templar mage stuff very often so i tend to roll with aveline varick merrill and all three of those characters even merrill is not really they don't care too much about mage templar decisions that you make and so even when i make pro mage decisions like fenris isn't there to disapprove uh and then when i do have fenris along i'm playing one of his missions or i've selected him to go on a very specifically dealing with blood mage situation so that way i know that he's not because i think of it this way like hawk isn't gonna roll up to Fenris and be like hey man you want to help me out sure Hawk what are we doing oh we're helping mages do more magic I know you love doing that so I thought you might want to come along I always think I think that Fenris particularly yeah if you're doing a pro mage playthrough I think Fenris in general is one of the harder characters to be friendship with I think he's like the character that skews more towards rivalry no matter what yeah. uh, for me though like yeah like the, my first playthrough uh, when I first played through the game, I believe my companions primarily, like 95% of the time, were Aveline, uh, Anders, and Isabella. Um, from pretty much as soon as I could actually, like, make that my team. And that's more or less what I stuck with. I only used, like, Meryl and Fenris when I absolutely had to, you know, for, like, their quests and stuff like that. So they, they're, the, they're the ones, I think, that tend to skew that rivalry away. So that was just never even an issue. But also, like, the simple fact for me of how I end up with all friendship is... And it's a problem with how I play Dragon Age games, and I've actually been trying to change it up. I tend to have, like, a fail state in my head when it comes to gaming. And I think it's because of a little bit of a people pleaser once upon a time in my real life. That I can't help but, like, I have to... Everyone has to like me. Um, (laughs) And particularly Dragon Age Origins really pushes you towards that with the way their rivalry system worked, you know, their French rivalry system, uh, affection, whatever the hell the term was, it pushes you towards like this whole thing that you're going to lose your companions if it goes below this level Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So it's like, Mm -hmm. well, I got to, you know, shove gifts up down everyone's throat and uh, make them all love me. So when two came along, I, I couldn't handle like the binary thing. It's like, they're my friends or I'm not playing. So it, 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 I don't know. That's just kind of how I was. So whenever I had opportunities to do friendship stuff, I tended to choose the option, like you know, the the stuff when they weren't like walking around with you. I tended to just choose the options that I knew they would like the most. 
less than <laughs> what necessarily I wanted my story to be. And it took me to like my third playthrough to actually be like, all right, fuck this. Let's uh, <laughs> one. I need I need a rival too. Let's actually explore a little more. So I guess, yeah. I guess my follow up question is like, how does Inquisition sit with you where you can't do that anymore? Like people will lose approval whether they're with you or not. And I mean, I, yeah. How, how does that? How do you feel about that? I actually prefer that system. Okay, yeah, um, I do too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I never liked the idea of, like, is it a little bit harder to, like, plan your stuff in your head? Yeah, but at the same time, um, I never liked the idea of, you know, you have a party of friends, and if Greg's not with you, then Greg doesn't know that you murdered his yeah. cousin. Like, I, you know, or stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. I never, I, I, I never, I never liked that. I always liked the idea of just in general everyone should if you're a well-known enough character everyone should know what you're doing because word travels right. but particularly if you're traveling with a group of people or in the case like inquisition you're all stuck in skyhold there everyone should know all the decisions the character right. makes mm -hmm. like because i mean i i've been playing a little bit and i i, I force myself to stop because i'm like if i keep playing this game by the time we get to anything in the show i'm not gonna remember everything that's gonna be so long and and, and generally inquisition is probably like the game that i have like the least like I've played it the fewest times of all the games we've covered on the show Same. so it's like I know that if I if this is not immediately fresh in my mind the show's not gonna be as good so I've kind of stopped but like Cassandra and Vivian fucking hate me and it is because <laughs> I can't just leave them wherever I want like like I can't leave them somewhere and kind of get away with doing things that they don't approve of and I'm a big person I'm like I don't care for like quote unquote gaming the system and like trying to kind of take people where I know that they're gonna be the happiest. Um so like I really like that. Um so it always is kinda of weird to me to be like hear people that are like went through the entire Dragon Age two and managed to not have anybody be pissed off at them because it just there's so many characters that are like diametrically opposed it almost feels like something like almost like you should have Anders and Fenris's bars next to each other and then they just move in equal increments to one side or the other just by principle, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is why I think I my last playthrough, if I remember right, I specifically played... I think, if I remember right, I, my team was primarily Fenris, Anders, and Meryl. <laughs> because mm, I was like, mm. let's just let's just have some yep. fun. <laughs> Put all and these those... kids together and make them wear this get-along shirt and just <laughs> yeah. go mm -hmm. through Kirkwall. And to be fair, I think... Inquisition from from what I remember of Inquisition and what I've experienced playing Dragon Age Two, I feel like you can have more strife within your party in Dragon Age Two than you do in Inquisition because like Inquisition, you know, characters will have an issue with what you're doing, but I think it's only in a very few select cases that they will actually leave if if you like piss them off enough and make yeah. enough decisions. Whereas like in Dragon Age Two, not only are there multiple places where characters can leave forever, but like there are characters in your party who pretty much openly loathe each other. Like mm -hmm. I got uncomfortable having Anders and Meryl in the same party after a while because yeah. of how much they detest or really just how much Anders detested Meryl. Right. And at the same time, like Anders had no room to say shit about any of that, mm -hmm. but we'll talk about that at a later date. <laughs> um, no, but you you make a valid point there. Like that's, but also you have to think about 
things, particularly just let's just just purely comparing to an Inquisition. Two, Hawk's nothing really special. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. people can come and go as they want because he is just. I mean, starting off right. a small time quasi crook, you know, and then he yeah, he sure he grows into the champion and stuff like that. And he does some amazing things, but there's nothing like inherently that special about him or her. Like Hawk is just you know, the guy, more or less, you know, mm-hmm. so they, they, they're just like, fuck it, I'm done with you, I'm gonna leave, but in the case of, like, uh, with the Inquisitor, that's actually a special person, and it's like, yeah, he's kind of a, or she's kind of a dick, but at the same time, uh, they are a god king who can mm-hmm. do this one special thing, and literally the world's on fire, I guess even if I hate them, I gotta, gotta stick it out. Sort yeah. of like in, and that's kind of, like, it plays into the sort of, like, breaking point scenes that you get with characters in there. Like, Cassandra, for example, like, she can't leave because she is, like, you know, the default warrior character in that game. Mm-hmm. So, like, she just gets, like, mad drunk and screams at you about how much she loathes you. But she has to live with it. Like, she doesn't, like, she cares more about the Inquisition's goals than she does about how much she can't stand you. Mm-hmm. Sort of the same thing with Vivian. Like, she... Her stuff is, like, super petty. Like, she rearranges the furniture in Skyhold because she wants to just annoy you, just for the sake of it. Whereas she still wants to be there for to, like, watch history change. And so I guess it's, like, the difference between just just some dude that, yes, happened to kill the Canari and become the champion and this character that is basically literally has the key to reality stepped into their hand. Well, and, like, I think... The, the format in which characters are joining you in Inquisition is a little bit different because you are running an army, like a branch of the Chantry, essentially, and you are forming a force and is operating on like a global level, whereas Hawk just kind of has the merry band of Scooby-Doo misfits that team <laughs> up to take on crime and Kirkwall and all that. Like, it's two very different scale, like, I cannot stress enough how drastically different the scale of game is from two to Inquisition. Like I, so Ken, you and I have both started our Inquisition playthroughs at this point, mm-hmm. and even just right away, I was like, "Holy crap!" I forgot. Just like when you really look at a map and see like Kirkwall is just a pip on the board, and yep. you are operating on this whole giant, you know, playing area and all these different things that you are doing and factions that you are working with and places that you are going and it's so different in scale and so i think yeah that's that's reflected a little bit that these characters when they join the inquisition they understand they're joining the inquisition they're not necessarily joining the inquisitor uh that takes time and that evolves over time uh anyways yeah no it's i yeah I, i definitely agree with josh though like the idea of being a people pleaser and stuff like that i have that same compulsion and so I definitely, like, I knowingly game it when I play Dragon Age 2, but Inquisition is not going to let me do that, so I'm probably going to have to do some research because for podcast purposes, I am playing the branch of that story that I did not play before, which is the Templar branch of the story because we want to have somebody who plays it. And <laughs> I don't know how that stuff turns out. I don't know how that affects approval of various characters. Mm. I don't know how that's going to change things. So I need to do some research on that end. But I am looking forward to playing that because it does seem like it's an interesting branch of that story. But we do need to wrap it up with Varric here. 
um speaking of dragon age inquisition characters mm-hmm. um varric's finale in dragon age 2 is definitely a strange one so mm. we can talk to varric in the hanged man and he he lets us know that he's trying to sell bartrand's estate and depending on how that loyalty mission ended he's either selling it because bartrand is dead or bartrand is in the um is in the mental ward uh dealing with the repercussions of being under the control of the lyrium idol for so long and we (laughs) he's trying to sell it but he's been having issues with haunting essentially uh there's stuff moving around and after we go to Bartrand's estate and kind of journey through some rooms and have some really I, fun little situations where stuff is moving around and shifting and stuff like that. And Varric is kind of getting increasingly unsettled the longer you are in this estate. You know, he starts talking about hearing voices and he starts reflecting on his time with Bartrand and stuff like that. Uh, we fight a big old ethereal golem after like there there's just like a woman hanging out in there yeah, like i, I feel like I this was, was. R- really was unexplained there? aspect of this mission <laughs> there's just like someone like squatting and then she like freaks out and runs and then the ghost golem kills her and we've got to kill the ghost golem and that's in case you didn't any other reason to kill the ghost golem it yeah. killed a random woman yeah you know it's bad it, it did not respect squatters' rights. And in this, in Bartrand's estate, we respect squatters' rights. Um, so here we have a choice here. Um, after we destroy the golem, uh, we will find a piece, a remaining piece of the Red Lyrium idol from all that time ago. And at this point, Varric demands to keep it he believes that he can control it he believes that he can use it he believes he will not fall prey to it um starting with ken what choice did you make here the only sensible one okay so you let him keep it mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> you know just did, so like, like he says bartron is a weak is a weak-minded fool of course Barrett oh. can, can live through it and be fine uh josh did you let him keep it or did you let make him get rid of it two playthroughs i made him get rid of it my last playthrough i let him keep it i let him keep it this playthrough oh shit that is not yeah. what i thought was gonna happen i hey, wait hold on before it's lost so it doesn't get lost in my, i did not let him keep it because yes yes we i, okay. I interpreted that don't worry okay well, <laughs> um, need to make sure everybody else does too <laughs> uh i i i don't know i i I go back and forth on what my ultimate reasoning for this was, but I kind of felt like he was going through some things and he was maybe regretting the way that things had gone down. And so it wasn't as much about holding on to the power of the Lyrium as it was like a tie to his brother. And I know that probably makes it work a little bit more if Bartran is dead and not like just kind of, you know, dealing with his stuff off mm-hmm. in the corner. Um, but that was kind of how I felt about this, that it was more of a memento. And I feel like that's reflected by the fact that it gives him extra rune slots on Bianca, which like when you think of Bianca as being an extension of Varric and, and, you know, it's it's opening him up a little bit more and, and strengthening him to deal with it. But also there's the very real thing of 
once I got to the end of this game, I was like, oh, right, that's what Red Lyrium does to people. Uh, hey, Varric, we should maybe, like, get rid of that thing. Uh, so that's my headcanon, is that Varric saw what happened uh, at the end of this game and then chucks that thing into the ocean where it belongs. <laughs> uh, and then a shark eats it and turns into a Red Lyrium shark, and we gotta deal with that shit. But um, is there why... Really- Ken, Ken, why did you make your decision? I mean, is it just the straightforward, like, this is going to corrupt him? Yeah, like, and not even in just, like, a greed way. Like, literally, we saw his brother go insane, and we are eventually going to see somebody else go insane. And, like, it's just... Mm-hmm. Why, like, what does Varric think that having it will change about anything? Like, if it haunted this house, it's going to haunt wherever he takes it. It's gonna, like, can you imagine the hangman just, like, chairs floating around, hitting people, like, starting a bar fight? It's a big mess. No one needs that. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering, is there like a like an effect from this in Inquisition? I actually do not know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm unsure of that. I've been actually wondering. I mm. will look that up while Josh, you tell me why you made your decision for him keeping it versus not. Well, so like for the. Uh, for the not letting Varric have it originally, it was the exact same reason, you know, as stated, uh, as Ken stated. Like, I saw the corruption. Even even though Varric wasn't one of my favorite characters, I wanted to make sure that he had a, you know, again, a people pleaser. I wanted to make sure he, he was as healthy as he could be kind of thing. So that was clear I wasn't going to give it to him. Um, and then on the playthrough, you know, when I eventually uh, gave it to him, I didn't like Varric anymore at that point as a character particularly uh he's actually one of my least liked characters in Dragon Age um and I yeah I, I no but no, I mean I I'd love to give some like profound reason why I gave it to him but really I was just curious what would happen mm-hmm. is what it boils down to this like no like like amazing logic behind it. Just like, you know what? I haven't, I've, I've done this two ways. I've done this one way, two times. I'm curious if this will affect him differently. And if this will have an effect, you know, at that point I knew inquisition was on the way. So like in inquisition, cause, uh, you know, I liked the, I was, I liked the idea of Varric being a bit off his rocker <laughs> and seeing what, what that kind of Varric might be like. So, Interesting. Yeah. Not a good person, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I'm reading this straight off the wiki, uh, and if if you are trying to stay unspoiled on things that happen in Inquisition, I will try to dance around specifics. This is just to reflect how it is actually um, revealed in Inquisition. So, if the Red Lyrium fragment was kept by Varric... Um, Varric has the mining cast uh, in uh, Orzammar construct a vault in Kirkwall, and uh, he keeps the Red Lyrium fragment locked away in it. Varric uh, has a few alchemists study it, but is particularly careful to make sure that exposure is limited. He claims he wants to discover if it is possible to remove the Red Lyrium's adverse effect of madness, but has yet found no success. Um, eventually as as the companion mission that he has continues and i won't spoil some of that but uh it does come into play that the particular character that features in it um 
they use delirium idol saying that like they were researching it and trying to help Varric study it mm-hmm. um so it does sound like if he holds on to it it's eventually kind of i wouldn't say retconned but it is like portrayed as he wants to hold on to it so he can study it and maybe find a way to reverse it which i like you know obviously i do not have that knowledge i did not have that knowledge going into my decision making this but i feel like that's an interesting way of them taking that character that he doesn't get consumed by the greed but he wants to maybe potentially reverse the effect that it's had on bartrand so he can have his brother Mm. back or whatever i think that would be or or even if he had to kill bartrand you know maybe he feels regret over that and he wants to make sure that other people can't fall prey to the same thing um i kind of enjoy that I think that's awesome, actually. I think that's yeah. a great. Uh, I think that's a great quasi retcon to do to change mm-hmm. things up because it still feels true to Varric as a character, um, as we've known him, but also adds another layer and also adds another layer to the whole Red Lyrium mystery, mm. which it's, is ongoing. Yep. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk more about that next season in Inquisition. But we do get like one little closure bit, an actual mission called closure. Um, where Hawk, Hawk either gets thanked for watching Varric's back uh, if we destroy the shard and, and uh, Varric is kind of like, hey, you know, uh, I wasn't in my right mind, thank you. Or if he's allowed to keep it, he says he'll be careful with it and, you know, he won't, like, mess around with it like Bartrand did. And then we have our final Varric mission, which is an anniversary. Uh, we just talk to the hangman. And we get a little bit of a thing that's like, hey, yeah, you know, it's been six years since we met. And it's been, he kind of gives you a very cryptic um, tag off. And this is one of two that I feel were, were very cryptic here in Dragon Age 2. And the other one is like much more obvious and ominous uh, when we get to it. Shout outs to Anders. But um, with Varric, he's very much like, hey, it's been an honor. I just wanted to make sure I got the chance to tell you that and all that. It's very much like, hey, dude, come on. Like, what do you think this is ending anytime soon? But I feel like they had this in here to kind of set up the feeling that something big was coming because I feel like that's Mm. what a lot of these missions end up doing, which is like, oh, we better establish that something big is going to happen. And it almost feels like the tag off before the suicide mission in mass effect 2 where you're kind of talking to each character and you're like well i've settled my affairs and stuff so i'm ready for whatever comes next and all that it this has the same kind of feel to it so i don't know how i feel about that um especially since mm-hmm. Varric is not a character that can die in the events to come like Varric will survive no matter what because obviously like he's in dragon age inquisition as a companion he's telling character the story as well. of this game so yeah he's telling the stories it'd be very difficult for him to die like plot <laughs> twist i'm actually a ghost <laughs> and cassandra's just like whoa man it was it was all a dream um honestly i would love to just see like a, a varic fake out of just being like we're we just cut that scene Cassandra's like wait I'm talking to you right now you couldn't have died boo I'm a ghost and then he just sinks into the dark he's like nah okay let's keep telling the story yeah <laughs> yeah there were not enough Varric fake outs in act 3 I was a little bummed by that the mm-hmm. the cuts away to Varric and Cassandra like that was some of my favorite stuff in act 1 and 2 were those cutaways and we did not get much of that here um, again act 3 kind of feels like the oh shit we have to finish this game mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah. so they left some there's some stuff that one and two have that three just is missing 
Yeah. Um, but how do how do we feel about Varric overall? And I I will start. Uh, I like Varric a lot uh, for reasons that I find difficult to express because he is not my favorite character ever. Um, it's not like I have some sort of strong. He's not like a Garrus character where I have an extremely strong feeling of companionship between my playable character and this other character is i don't see that same relationship especially because i feel like it would have been stronger had varic not been a companion in inquisition and instead had just shown up when another character shows up in inquisition uh that made that maybe would have solidified that a bit more but because he's just kind of like his we'll talk about this more in inquisition but the way he kind of like carries over and fills the same role to the inquisitor that he does to hawk in dragon age 2 feels very strange to me because Mm -hmm. it feels like it's acknowledging the player in a way like oh hey you the player have returned to our world let's give you your companion back and that works when you're playing commander shepherd because there's no shepherd without vicarian but it feels very weird when it's suddenly going from Hawk to the Inquisitor, but Varric has to be around because Varric is the character. Um, but that being said, I like his character all right. I think he has an interesting arc. Uh, I really like him as the narrator of this whole thing. I, as I mentioned uh, just a little bit earlier, like I love all the interjections that he does and the clever ways they play with that. If anything, I wish they'd done that a little bit more. Uh, and I think he ultimately serves the role he needed to serve in this story. Uh, I do not hate him at the end of the story, which is more than I can say <laughs> for at least two other characters. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, how about you? How, how do you feel about Varric? So as I've already kind of said, uh, I did not like Varric particularly. Um, my issue with... so, And literally just had a crystallizing moment related to Varric. So I, it's... It might be a little gibberish as I try to explain this. I'm going to work my my way through this. So uh, I didn't like Varric initially because he felt like the same kind of character, as you said, like a Garrus character where we're told this is Hawk's best friend, except Mm -hmm. where Garrus, I felt, earned uh, the affection of Shepard in the first game and then strongly over the next games. They tried to almost condense that because obviously Mm -hmm. there's such a longer uh, story in Dragon Age 2, we're going over, you know, nearly a decade, you have six years of friendship, as said, uh, in the anniversary thing, I felt like Varric didn't almost earn that title, at least for me, like, so I just, Mm. it it felt like he was being thrust too much on me, however, what I did like about Varric, just looking specifically at 2, were the cutaways to Cassandra, I loved his relationship with Cassandra, and Mm. I loved, um, Building that to the point that when he did those cutaways just stopped pretty much happening in Act 3, I really grew to dislike Varric. And I now, mm. just now, realized that because of the lack of cutaways is why every time I finish Dragon Age 2, I don't like Varric. Because I've mm. really not seen him for such a long time um, mm. in, in, in the role I like him with. Right. Um, and the thing is, I got mad like when Dragon Age Inquisition was announced. And they're like, yeah, and Varric's back. <laughs> because I felt it was like almost like oh this see what Eric just said they're just they're giving us the player's friend again because I knew a lot of people liked the character and uh, the funny thing is 
I actually really like Farrick in Inquisition, and I yeah. feel like he actually earns some of the stuff that I feel like he didn't earn that we were that was kind of forced upon players in two. Um, and I do appreciate the character a lot more. I, again, I it, it builds on what I you know, and I not to get too far into Inquisition with you guys because I know you're gonna get that, but like I felt like a lot of what they did with him and Cassandra and a lot of those things really built on what I wanted out of a Varric from mm-hmm. Dragon Age Two, and I very much uh, enjoyed that relationship. However, saying with Eric's thing, I hadn't even considered it till just now. Also, another thing, the appearance of another character in in Inquisition, I would have rather Varric not be a companion and just appear there. Mm-hmm. So, long story short, my ideal Varric is one I don't like. Apparently. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what about you? I think as we're talking about this, what's really sticking out to me is that Varric is by design like the most probably the most static character in all of Dragon mm-hmm. Age 2 because mm-hmm. they need to have, like, they need to be able to justify why he is still in any way associated with Hawk to tell the story at the end of this game. Um, so even, like, when you do get, like, friendship and rivalry between him, it's like, the most minute differences. Like, I think, like, the the most, like, major distinction between those two relationships is, like, if, you're, if you are a rival, instead of, like, really telling your story and, like, telling all these awesome adventures that you go on to. He kind of, like, spreads rumors about you anyway, just for the fun of it. Like, that's kind of what he does in Kirkwall. So, like, when it does get to those cuts back and forth between the framing device and the actual story, it kind of just seems like he is kind of ho-hum about Hawkins. Just like, well, this is the story you wanted me to tell, so here it is. Where I think, you know, and again, we're not going to spoil everything in Inquisition, but I think when you separate him from that requirement of him to be, a like, be basically a barely changed version of one like he has to be one of two very similar versions of himself by the end of the game of Dragon Age 2 when he doesn't have to be that in Inquisition you get more interplay between him and all the other characters like like his, his relationship with Cassandra I think is really great like even as far as I've gotten into this playthrough of Inquisition I'm just like I really love watching those two interact where honestly like thinking about it now like Varric doesn't really interact with most people, like, in terms of, in, in, like, terms of the party, like, he doesn't have, like, a really significant relationship with almost any of them, um, like, like, that, there's that one banter that you point out, Eric, where, uh, he talks about, like, how he is kind of defending, like, or paying people off to not harass Meryl when she's, right. like, d- doing walks in the middle of the night, I feel like a lot of his relationship with this party of Dragon Age 2 either happens in the background like that, or just kind of seems like he is you know a people pleaser of this group where he doesn't want to like really get involved with almost anything so I think I'd it's weird because like I, I'd always kind of ascribed to that stuff you're talking about Josh where like I was like oh Varric and my hawk are like two of the best friends that are just you know going getting on all these adventures together in Kerwall but the more I think about it I'm like I don't really know that they are able to achieve a really deep relationship with him either way because they're kind of their, their hands are tied by the story that they've written here. Sure. I think... So this is coming from me having finished Dragon Age 2. And we've talked a lot about how these characters interact with each other a lot. And in some ways that's made the party feel more alive. Like they are characters that kind of each have their own lives. But in a way, there's also almost a loneliness to it. Like, Hawk is... Hawk seems like an island 
with bridges to all these other islands and you get to like go across and visit Varric and see Varric's life but not get really invested in Varric's life you know he's kind of off doing his own thing and when your paths intersect your paths intersect and Inquisition having that skyhold base having everyone be there and working together and working towards the same cause ends up being that like extra punch that I think makes that cast even if it's not wholly unified in the way that Dragon Age 2's is feel more unified in the end because like again every time I think about Dragon Age Inquisition one of the first scenes that comes to mind is when they all play um I think it's Wicked Grace or like mm-hmm. poker or whatever uh, and it's it's the one that like if you've played that game you know which scene I'm talking about because it's like a very Citadel-esque scene uh, but that that doesn't quite happen in Dragon Age 2 a lot of these interactions are one on one or you're walking in as another character's walking out and stuff mm-hmm. like that um, and so I think Varric just feels like more of a character because we get to see Varric in context of other characters there and i agree a lot with the banter that you mentioned that a lot of his banter is definitely like oh he has nicknames for everybody and he has kind of these different relationships and stuff like that but they're not really that tied in and even just when i was going back through the wiki there to find how the red lyrium stuff goes into inquisition it was fascinating to like remind myself of oh right like he has an arc an inquisition that goes places and it ends up being tied into his story in two but in a way that is very personal to him and also i I think something that we didn't bring up uh yet is the difference between you know if we think about characters as being representatives for different races like we did in mass effects um the you know varic is here as our dwarven companion and compared to ogren from dragon age origins who is just this absolute caricature that i did not care about whatsoever (laughs) um (laughs) the most gimly ass character i've ever seen in my life um having varic be this character that's able to experience a little bit more depth and a little bit more emotional complications let's say and not just be this character is like oh i love drinking let's drink and hit things with our axe and stay underground and like (laughs) it's i like varic for that reason but he gets to shine so much more in inquisition once like as ken mentioned he is not bound by the duties of being narrator right and so Mm -hmm. i i I come away from it feeling like i like varic a lot but he does not fit that garris role and so part of me is a little frustrated that they it feels like they kind of try to foist that upon him going into like in this and going into inquisition but also i'm now also looking forward to seeing him develop as a character so i'm a little bit more okay with him being the repeat companion here Mm. um i will be a little miffed if he is a repeat companion in four uh Mm -hmm. just because i one of the things i like about dragon age is that the companions are always new and no i think uh, that's stupid (laughs) uh well ken if they're gonna keep changing protagonists they gotta keep changing (laughs) companion characters too Um, fuck the stupid series god okay (laughs) i'm just getting you i'm getting you ready for where this podcast is going to go all right i'm just Mm. preparing you you know we're, we're working our way there 
um josh ken does not like the the way that dragon age handles its protagonist and such um i mean it's not the it's not always the best i by the way my theory that i've sticked to and i will, will not let go until they announce otherwise is dragon age 4 that they're gonna find a way to make uh all three character you're gonna play a fourth new character and your companions are gonna be your three previous main characters oh that'd be that'd be cool Okay. I don't a, that technologically was I don't see how the hell they could do that, but I, I, I like I like a party. If they're there, of, why? Like, why do I not just play with them? Why? But a party of Hawk and the Warden and the Inquisitor all together—that sounds really cool. Well, then and, let me play and Phil the, <laughs> <laughs> the guy from Tevinter. Some Phil the guy from Tevinter. I don't uh, know. Hi, I'm Phil, Blood Mage, big fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> I owned a few slaves. Sorry, it was a time Whoops. in my life. We call, we call that a whoopsie. Um, change the band, don't worry. <laughs> I took a gap year. <laughs> took a gap year. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I'm never coming back. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, boy. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's something else. So, I guess, Ken, you wanted to broach the subject a little bit. Um we have both started our Inquisition playthroughs now. Both of us have finished our, our two playthroughs and have moved on to Inquisition. Uh, so I guess just for the folks at home, how are you feeling jumping from DA2 into Inquisition in very broad strokes? Don't worry, we will save the meat of it for uh, the actual podcast when we get there. But just broad strokes, how are you feeling about the difference between 2 and Inquisition? Yeah, so like, I mean, for context, like, Every game that we've done on this show so far, I have played multiple times. Like, I think Andromeda was probably the one I played the least, and that was like already five times by the time we started. Good um, so this is my third playthrough of Dragon Age Inquisition because like I played it when it first came out. I didn't touch it for like four years, and then we started the show, so we did Mass Effect, and so it's been like two years since whenever that playthrough was. Um, so it is like what I'm enjoying is like I'm I enjoy coming back to it and kind of like remembering things that I kind of forgotten because I I, it's not drilled into my brain in the same way um the game whips ass like I am <laughs> always like I am surprised at how much I enjoy this game on like in terms of like it doing the things that I want this series to do like everything that I do feeling like like the world changes in every single quest in that game and like it feels like my presence there matters and should and will like continue to matter and, like the the world's gonna be different by the time I'm done where origins I mean you're basically reaction like you're reactionary to everything that's happening in that world and then the game like make or the series makes like a very direct point to leave it all behind by going away and being like how can we not engage with all the things that you did as much as possible where what's appealing to me about Inquisition is that like in a series that actually like meant anything that it did and actually gave a shit about any of its characters and things that it you know put forth I love the feeling of, like, Inquisition, like, really making every moment in that game feel meaningful. Um, hmm. Open world stuff is not as oppressive as I think a lot of people remember. I mean, like, it's, sure, it's still big, but it's not... Like, even Andromeda was way bigger, and that didn't bother me that much. I'm excited to get back to it, because, like, it, I feel like there's not... Like, even with all the interesting stuff we talked about in 2, specifically, like, the first two acts, I don't think there's been a more interesting and holistic like dissection of this world than there is an Inquisition and it as much as like I have some problems the way that kind of like frames the protagonist of the Inquisitor but it also feels like I don't think that Bioware has since really 
had a protagonist that you've really been able to mold and also see that in like really tangible ways instead of like text lines that you pick from mm-hmm. yeah I'm excited to talk about like I I mean okay obviously we have to finish Dragon Age 2 but like we're at the part of this game that sucks so I'm like <laughs> I'm really ready to get to that game because I think it's going to be I'm really excited for the episodes that we're going to have because I think it's going to be really interesting talking to people about sort of like the, the different perspectives everyone has going into that game and a lot of that comes from well I mean both like there's some people that, that sort of don't like that game they're going to be on this show but also just like I feel like Inquisition better than either of the other games really sets you up to come from a very particular perspective and view the world through different lenses depending on how you like how you create your character but I think just like there are different versions of Inquisitions in everybody's, in everybody's brain. And I think that's a really interesting thing that you can't really say for the other two games. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm still very early in my playthrough. I think I actually, like, saved right after I started approaching the anchor in uh, Haven and all that. I'm not far in at all. Mm. But uh, I will say, so obviously I'm playing on PC. Uh, I did take a look at the mods. Uh I am foregoing mods for at least right now because mm. a lot of the mods have to do with changing aspects of gameplay. So like making all war table uh, quests instantly complete instead of taking mm. time and things like that. And I'd rather experience those as right. intended. Um, th- and there's some other stuff that are like deeper, uh, deeper classifications removing classifications altogether so you can kind of uh you know like be a rogue that wears warrior armor or Mm. uh be a mage who also specializes into like you know other like rogue abilities and warrior abilities Mm. as well and stuff like that sort of breaking the game yes yeah and well the only one that i saw that i was really tempted to download and ultimately did not was uh it removes I think there's a cap on how many Inquisition levels you can get to put into mm. points, like upgrades okay. for the Inquisition, and it removes that cap unless you just keep earning, because you will hit a point where you cap the Inquisition out, and you will still earn points after that, but you will be maxed out on level, mm-hmm. uh, and it lets you keep earning after that point, so that way you could feasibly acquire every one of those upgrades if you wanted to. Right. That one I was kind of tempted by because I kind of think that's the way the game should have been designed in the first place. But mm. um, I will respect the original intent and judge it on that rather than mod it and change it. Uh, I did have to, I did have to mod it to make the cutscenes run better though because oh, there's something okay. up with the the frostbite engine or something like there's something up with the game engine that makes the cutscenes not run at 60 fps hmm. and so they and not even like it's not even like oh my god it's not 60 fps it's like it gets really chunky at times and then you get into the actual game and it looks fine and then you get into a cutscene it looks chunky so hmm. I did put in a fix to fix that because I want this game to look good because it's on my brand new gaming pc but uh the other thing i wanted to say about my playthrough for inquisition i've only played through it once i played human mage uh my character looked like macklemore uh and i went pretty much what i imagined beyond banging dorian is what (laughs) ken's playthrough is going to be which is very mage uh Mm -hmm. mage supportive uh sort of inquisition so for this one, I am playing a female elf rogue. I am staying with the rogue class. I am 
uh, playing a female character, I'm playing an elven character, uh, I'm probably going to go down the Templar route. I'm, well, I am going to go down the Templar route, uh, no matter what. But I might fool around and see if I could start something up with Solus, because it sounds like that stuff is very interesting. We will see how I feel as the game progresses, and also how Solus feels about me being super into the Templars. But... <laughs> um, I, I am interested to see some aspects of that game I've not seen before because it is an absolutely massive game. It is so, 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 so big. And I'm kind of using that opportunity to really push myself to role play a character and not just kind of, I think the last, especially with Dragon Age 1 and 2, I've been kind of playing generally the same character that i was before just with mild mm -hmm. differences like playing female hawk this time instead of playing male hawk but i still romance meryl um i want to really venture out a little bit so yeah. i'm going to be seeing all new stuff i will not be romancing best girl cassandra <laughs> i will still however talk about how good cassandra is because cassandra is the best is <laughs> fantastic i love that character so so much but uh sadly cassandra has not seen the light of my female elven inquisitor just yet so that will not be happening but i am interested to get to that i'm sure i josh it's sounding like you might be coming along on the ride for us as well uh for that as well i mean i'm interested um <laughs> we we have you on the the list of parties interested in that um as yes. for the folks at home who have interest you can always go to patreon.com slash and support us that's where you can keep the lights on and get us towards those tiers that get us playing even more video games we are past the dragon age tier we are into we we have jade empire set up now we are going to be playing jade empire once we're done with the dragon age series and if you want to see us push even further to things like knights of the old republic anthem or even a community voted game you can head over there and support us at patreon to push us up higher towards those tiers once we clear the funding we will clear the tier we will do that content so get us there and we will do it uh as always we love to shout out the folks at home who uh support us at certain tiers and that is kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just reds and just thank you for keeping that joke alive every week and thank you for supporting us and also we are planning on doing a q a slash mailbag sort of episode where you can ask ken and i any question it does not have to be bioware related it can be about our lives up to a certain point <laughs> it can be about our own work in the games industry it can be about whatever uh, you can send those questions over to normandyfm at gmail.com or you can reply to them on Twitter. I think our DMs are open as well, so you can send them that way. Uh, all those questions will be compiled and we'll do a Q&A episode at a yet-to-be-determined date. I'm thinking it's probably... Ken, are you thinking somewhere between Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age Inquisition? That like, seems like an appropriate time and enough time between... A say and it's the thing we're gonna do and like enough people for people to get questions in and yeah we'll, we'll we will announce the formal date of closing off questions uh on our social media which you can find at twitter.com slash show just so y'all know but make, make sure you get those questions in if you want to hear us really talk about ourselves really open up and reminder they do not have to be bioware related we talk about bioware on here all the time if you have questions about any other series or anything like that any other thing you want to know within the realm of reason uh 
happy to address that. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a we just got a one dollar new one dollar patron. We did. Constantly Hot. calibrating. Hot dang! Look at that. Yeah, I figured I. Yeah, I like you guys. So. Well, it's about time. How many times we <laughs> gotta have you on this show? <laughs> uh enough for me to start paying for the privilege apparently <laughs> uh yeah apparently that's how it works i don't know if it's a tax or something it's weird josh thank you so much for coming on always a pleasure to have you on the show no it's, it's been a blast uh i i love talking to you guys about uh you know the world of bioware games and stuff like that and i very much enjoy just you know coming on the show and talking about dragon age 2 any podcast that wants me to come on and talk about dragon age 2 i will <laughs> so there need to be more this once we are gone is time for other people to take up the gauntlet and do the same and we will exactly and keep it alive until oh, next speaking time of, speaking of uh, wait speaking we have of to, you gotta mention about next week well, we do. Or we are announcing it. I I figured so. I just, I mean, if do the folks at home want to know who our last guest is going to be? It's going to be none other than Heather Alexandra, formerly of Kotaku, um, now doing some work over at Double Fine. But she will be joining us to talk about Anders and Meryl next week, capping off our companion quests. Very excited to have her on. First time on the show. It's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to some hot takes because it's Anders and Meryl, man. It's Anders (laughs) and Meryl. (laughs) That episode sounds exhausting. I am ready to be exhausted and really just pick this apart because, man, after finishing this game... A lot of stuff in these missions that I forgot about. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, and then the week after that, we will be on The Last Straw, which will be the last uh, episode of Dragon Age 2. We are literally two weeks away from the end of Dragon Age 2 and the start of Dragon Age Inquisition. Good lord. I need to play some Dragon Age Inquisition. I gotta I gotta make sure I'm prepped for that, because games are coming out now, and I gotta make sure I'm ahead of the ball on this. So... For all of us here at Normandy FM, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. We have watched and waited 